chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. If you are using a pew Bible, you can find that on page 1191. Hebrews chapter 11. And let me read the first three verses of Hebrews 11. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. This morning we come uh, to look at this very basic biblical truth. God created the universe. That the visible world which we see around us came into existence because the invisible God spoke it into existence. That God is the creator of the universe. Um, uh, this idea that God formed all things is sort of basic to biblical understanding. But the question we really want to wrestle with this morning is, how do we know that that's true? How do you know that God created the universe? Is it by means of the Hubble telescope that they were just working on this week as the space shuttle went up there? Do we know that God created the universe by measuring uh, cosmic background microwave radiation and red shifts to gauge the age of the universe and the acceleration of the planets? You know, what is it that leads us to the conclusion? Is it by those things? And the answer is no. We know that God created the universe... By faith, as it says in verse 3, by faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command. Uh, A couple Sundays ago, we began a study in Hebrews chapter 11. If you were here two Sundays ago, we started uh, with an overview of the entirety of chapter 11. Hebrews 11 is a very important passage in the Bible. It's sometimes been called the hall of faith because it gives example after example after example of Old Testament characters who are models of faith for us. And so many Christians have really treasured this uh, passage of Scripture. And then um, last Sunday, Pastor Chris looked at Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. And if you're here, Hebrews 12, 1 to 3 is kind of the summary and application of Hebrews chapter 11. So for the past two Sundays, we've been kind of doing a high-level flyover of the entire section. But what we're going to do today and for the next about six Sundays is we're going to go back now into chapter 11 and sort of drill down into individual stories of faith. Uh, Drill down into different um, uh, scenarios that are described here in chapter 11. So so rather than the 30,000-foot flyover, we're going to go on the ground and kind of walk around and dig around in each of these stories. And I want to go back and do that in Hebrews 11 for two reasons. Uh, Number one, it's just a great chapter. There's so much juicy spiritual stake in this passage that it it seems a shame to just give it sort of one cursory flyover kind of sermon there's so many things here to understand we have this kind of unique new testament interpretation of a series of old testament famous stories in fact there are a lot of famous stories here maybe you feel kind of new to the bible Maybe you just haven't studied the Bible that much and so it seems a little bit mysterious to you or you haven't studied the Old Testament or you're kind of rusty on it. And so what's great about Hebrews 11 
um, is that it gives kind of this highlights of major stories from the first six books of the Bible. It starts in verse 3, as we'll see today, with the creation, and goes up through verse 31, which takes us to Joshua and the conquest. And so Noah and Abraham and Moses and all these different characters are exemplified before us as role models of faith. So that's one reason I think it's important to go back and study it in depth. Another reason we're going to study it in depth is because, frankly, a lot of us struggle with the topic of faith. Faith is just a really central aspect to Christianity. Without faith, you don't have Christianity. And yet I think it's just one of those issues where it's like, ah, I, I wrestle with faith. Some of us wrestle with faith because we're more scientifically oriented. We've been trained in the sciences. Or maybe we're just, we're just one of those people who's always like, well, you've got to prove it to me for me to be able to believe it. That's how we think. We're more hands-on, evidentially kind of minded. And so when you start talking about faith, you know, to some of our brains, it sounds like you're saying, be illogical. You know, we're like Spock in Star Trek. Like, that is illogical, Captain. I can't believe in God. Others of us have the opposite problem. We have put our faith big time into a person or an institution or something, and we've been profoundly betrayed by that person or institution. So now the idea of having faith again is, is difficult. It's like we've pulled a hamstring and now that muscle's weak, that faith muscle's weak, and you're, trying to, you're telling me to exercise it again, to go out and sprint by faith again? I can't do that. So for some of us, faith is problematic because of personal experiences. So that's why I think it's going to be so helpful to just kind of roll around in chapter 11 for seven weeks and really look at faith from all these different angles, to take faith and look at it from different perspectives to really grasp what it is the Scriptures are saying. But today we begin with verse 3. So we're just going to try to look at this one verse. And we're going to begin in the beginning when God created everything. And it says in verse 3, By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. God created the universe and we know this by faith. It is faith that opens up our understanding to how everything that we know came into existence. Now, this is obviously alluding back to an Old Testament passage. So this reference here in verse 3, like so much of chapter 11, is referencing us back to Old Testament stories. So let's go back and read the original Old Testament story of the creation of the universe. So if you put a bookmark here in Hebrews 11, we're going to come back to it, and go to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, page 1, no matter what version of the Bible you're using. And we'll get the Old Testament background for this Hebrews passage. Genesis 1, 1. Let me read 1 to 3, verses 1 to 3. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Then you get this famous passage. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. So from the very opening pages of the Scripture, the very first chapter, the very first verse, the very first phrase, the Bible is calling forth and summoning out faith from us. The Bible is saying, you must have faith to enter in here. You know, the Bible starts with, in the beginning, God. 
And, and we want to wonder, well, how do we know there's a God? Well, prove there's a God. No, no, no. It's just He's there. He, and, and we have to either accept it or not accept it by faith. God is the great assumption of the Bible. He is assumed from cover to cover. He shows up. No explanation is given. No rationalization is given to um, sort of satisfy our myopic rationalism. It's just there. God. He's there in the Bible. You know, mommy and daddy, who made God? Nobody. Well, and how is he there? He just is. He's God. He's the beginning. He's the unmoved mover. He he is the one who starts everything. God is simply there. And we know that by faith. And it goes on to say that this God who simply is created the heavens and the earth. So we're simply told that God made everything. Now, again, I know this is the part where a lot of us, some of us, maybe many of us get stuck because we start to say, now, wait a minute. You're talking about the universe and the world and how it came to be. And in my mind, that fits in a box called science. And then you're telling me, on the other hand, that God made it and He made it by speaking. And that kind of fits in a box called faith. And one is rational and one is irrational. One is logical, one is illogical. And you're trying to put these two together. I just don't see how they fit together. And so we struggle with that. And to just accept that by faith is very difficult for us. Well, um, if I could just digress for a few minutes on that topic, because I know science and faith is, is a convoluted topic. I can't say everything that needs to be said on it. But let me just share a few thoughts on that. I think it's really critical that we disentangle two concepts that unfortunately get fused together in a lot of modern conversation. And here's the two concepts we really have to pull apart. We need to distinguish between science and materialism. Or you might say naturalism. Two different things. We need to distinguish between science, which is a methodology or a process of learning, and we need to distinguish between that and materialism. And when I say materialism, I'm not saying the person who likes to shop a lot. Okay, I'm talking about the philosophy or worldview of materialism. We need to distinguish between science, which is a method or a process for gathering information and learning about the world around us from materialism, which is a belief system that says there is nothing beyond the material universe. There's nothing beyond, you know, matter is, and that's it. There's just matter and energy, and there's dark matter and antimatter and energy and all these different things, but that's it. There's nothing beyond it that makes it or creates it. It simply is, and that's all we can know, and that's all we should try to know. And what I want to point out to you is Science is a different thing from materialism, and they often get confused. People think that to be scientific, you have to make materialistic or naturalistic assumptions about the universe. That's not the case. Or people think that somehow not believing in God is logical because it's more scientific. But they're they're different things. One is a methodology. One is a belief system, which I would argue is also accepted on faith. And they're two different kinds of things. And so what you have to do is you have to take scientific inquiry, which is one way of gathering certain types of information about the world, and that scientific inquiry has to live inside a worldview. Science is not a worldview. It's it's a way of of looking at things and thinking, but it's not a worldview in itself. It has to live within one. So it can live within the materialistic worldview, and that will shape what science looks like and the conclusions it draws to a degree. Or science can live within a Christian worldview or another worldview, but it has to live somewhere. And in fact, there have been many Christians 
who have been great scientists down through the centuries, uh, for whom their faith in God and the belief in a Creator God fueled their scientific endeavor. Uh, maybe you've heard some of their names. Let me rattle some off for you. Christians who were scientists like Copernicus, Kepler, Sir Francis Bacon, who really developed the whole um, scientific method that we, sort of the forerunner of what we do today, Galileo, Newton, Sir Isaac Newton, Robert Boyle, Michael Faraday, Gregor Mendel, Kelvin, Max Planck, all these names that are associated with theories and uh, postulates, these great thinkers who were fueled by their faith. Even Albert Einstein, who was not a Christian, but he wasn't an atheist either. Uh, uh, Einstein came to believe in the impossibility of a non-created universe. How's that for a double negative? <laughs> Einstein believed in the impossibility of a non-created universe. In fact, let me uh, read you a great Einstein quote. He once said to another young physicist as to why he studied and thought and did what he did. He, says, he said, I want to know how God created this world. I am not interested in this or that phenomenon, in this spectrum or in that element. I want to know his thoughts. The rest are details. Isn't that interesting? And he wasn't a Christian. And to my knowledge, he never came even to a, a personal belief in God. But, but, but he, it was enough of a framework for him that it drew him forward. See, I think the argument can be made that when you start with a, a theistic creator-God worldview, it's actually a great platform for doing science. Why? Because you believe that there is a God-ordained order to things, that there's something out there to actually be investigated, that there are laws and patterns, and that this is really important. My mind was also created by God to correspond to reality so that I could possibly know things about reality. You know, th there's a framework for doing science in a hopeful kind of way. Contrast that with materialism, and you have all kinds of philosophical problems. Why should I think that if there's no God or there's nothing, and it's just, this world is just a big soup of energy and atoms swirling around in different ways, what, what, by what ground should I think that my mind, my brain, which is itself simply a collocation of atoms and energy swirling around randomly for no purpose, can correspond to and understand the other random things that are floating around up there? I mean, what's the basis? I, mean, I, I think you have major philosophical problems there for having a hopeful scientific inquiry into the universe. But I would even take it a step further. And it'll still bring us back to Hebrews. I would take it a step further and say that for the Christian, science should be an act of profound worship. It could be worship. Because for the Christian who by faith understands God made the universe, that Christian is investigating the world that God has made. That Christian is saying, God, you are so awesome, you are so amazing, that thinking critically and, and relentlessly about your creation is worthy of my life to know who you are and the way you have made things. And so whether you're a scientist or an artist or a soccer mom or a carpenter or a kid in school, whatever your background is, we approach life by faith when we put that lens on. We all have lenses. We all look at life a certain way. When we have the lens of faith, we look at the world around us by faith knowing God made it, and we engage it with worship and awe at who God is. You know? 
So going back to Hebrews 11.3, by faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command. And it leads us to worship God. It produces worship in our souls. We look into a microscope <laughs> by faith. You can either look into that microscope by faith or by unbelief, but you'll have to look at it some way. When you put on the lens of faith and you look in that microscope, you look down at the cellular level, you realize there's things called cells that you can't see with your naked eye, and that each of those cells is a world unto itself. It's a whole little universe with amazing chemistry and dynamic complexity to it. And you start seeing, oh, there's nucleus and there's ribosomes and chromosomes and mitochondria and, and this huge, amazing machine that, that we could never build at such a microscopic level of a cell. And then you get a better microscope, an electron microscope, and you burrow down even deeper and you realize that there's molecules that are making up that cell and that each of those molecules is like a little galaxy unto itself with atoms and protons and neutrons. And you start going and you say, oh, there's something even below the atomic level. There's a subatomic level. And you say, how deep does this rabbit hole go? It just keeps going down and down and there's more order and there's more you know, pattern and, and there's structure to it. And by faith, you lift your head up from that microscope and you say by faith, what an awesome God. What an awesome God. Or you put your eye to a telescope. And rather than looking down, you look up and you try to take in the scale of things larger than us rather than smaller than us. And so we, we build these amazing telescopes. We have the Hubble telescope, the big eye in the sky that's up there. And, and we look through that and, and they see there's a star up there that we can't see with our naked eye. It's too dim, but the telescope can see it. So they get a better telescope and they go, actually, you know what? We found out that star isn't a star. It's actually a galaxy. Then they get a better lens. I guess the new telescope, the Hubble telescope's getting a new lens. It's going to make it like 70 times stronger, which is already amazingly strong. But they're putting a new lens on. So we get this better lens and we go, oh, wait a minute. That galaxy that we used to think was a star isn't actually a galaxy. It's a galaxy cluster. There's a couple galaxies all hanging out together, you know, spinning around each other, each of them holding hundreds of billions of stars. Some of those stars are so enormous that they would just make our sun look like a pebble. I mean, huge stars, enormous stars. And, and, you know, you step back from that and you realize how far away that is and you begin to get a sense of the scale and scope of the universe. Even just for a, like a slight moment, you have an epiphany and you get a sense of our size against the scale of the universe God has made. And by faith you think on that and you say, what an awesome God. What an awesome God. Because by faith you understand what God has done. And it just brings you to your knees in worship. As a Christian, you're, you're just out under the stars for whatever reason on your lawn at night, looking up at the sky, no one around it, and you, you can't help it, you fall to your knees. And you just say, praise you, God. You know, you sing a song from your soul. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. You know, just the Bible begins to make sense. You understand why the Bible says things. Like, O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is Your name in all the earth. By faith you begin to understand why the Bible says things like, the heavens are God's throne and the earth is His footstool. You know, these were, this was written by people long ago who didn't have the same scientific advancement we have, but they saw the same universe and they had the same faith. And so they just scrambling to find some language to articulate how great God was. 
And so they said, it's like the heavens are your throne and this whole earth is just your ottoman. It's just your footstool. Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. It just leads one to awe and worship and wonder because God has done all these things. And then, I mean, I don't even know how to go here, but it's like to think of that great God who made this world in its scope and down to its smallest details, sent His own Son to die for us. It's like, I'm out of words. There's nothing that can be said. It's just so awesome. What an awesome God we serve and worship. And we see Him, we understand this by faith. So how do we get faith? If that's the case, that it's by faith that we see and know all these things, how does one acquire faith? If, uh, if that's what it takes is the lens of faith, where does one get that lens? Do you go down to lens crafters and have them fix your, you know, your bifocals? And can you put a faith lens in there? You know, how, do you, how do you see that and, and get faith? And I think one thing we can say is that you don't get faith by amassing more and more scientific data. Okay? Uh, you, you don't get faith by simply uh, researching things more and reading more arguments for why God is real. Even though, don't get me wrong, there are great arguments for why God is real. If you want, just talk to me after the service, I'd love to give you books written by PhD guys in molecular chemistry who break down DNA and they argue for an irreducible complexity to the universe you know, DNA, you, you can't take things away from it without it being DNA, and it carries information, and they say, look, there's the fingerprint of an intelligent being there. You know, so there's all kinds of good arguments like that. My point is simply, I can't give you that stack of books and say, if you read this, you will have faith. Because there's something very profoundly dark within us as human beings that is able to doubt even God staring us right in the face. That's, that's part of the problem, and we'll talk about that in a minute. So you don't get faith by piling up scientific evidence. Although, and let me be really, really clear about this. I'm not saying, therefore, that science is contradictory to faith. I'm just saying you don't get to faith that way. You know, scientific data is something you have to look at through a particular lens, whether belief or unbelief. But the lens itself is adopted by faith. Everyone lives by faith. Everyone has a religious worldview. Everyone has a belief system adopted by faith. The question is, what is your lens and why do you have it? And so, by faith, we look at the data and, and we begin to see it. But it's not the data that gives us the faith. So, again, I ask the question, how do we get this faith? Where does it come from? And the answer we find is that faith, as we talked about two weeks ago, is a supernatural gift of God. God has to give it to you. That just as God had to speak and the universe which does not exist came into being by fiat, so God speaks into the, the dark vacuum of our soul and faith comes into existence where it did not exist before. Only God can create faith in us just as God is the one who created all things. And He's an awesome God. He speaks and it comes into existence. What an awesome God. Let me look at a passage with you that talks about how faith is created. It's uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Let me just touch on this passage and close with this. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. It's on page 1144, 1144. 
This is a great passage. This passage needs a whole sermon unto itself. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 4 to 6. It says, let me just read the verses, then we make two observations after I read the verses. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of the darkness, made His light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Like I said, so much to be commented on there. Let me make two comments. The first is this. Notice that the problem isn't a lack of scientific data. The problem with faith is our dark, unbelieving hearts. It's a spiritual problem, not an intellectual or scientific problem. It's a spiritual condition that we have. Look again at verse 4. The God of this age, that's referring to the evil one, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see. You cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. We're rendered incapable of it. There's our sin nature within us that makes us unwilling and unable to believe savingly, to have faith in the way that God wants us to in the Scriptures. We're just blind. So it's ultimately a spiritual problem, not necessarily an intellectual or scientific or argument kind of problem. Something has to change inside of me. We're so blind. And you know, if we're honest, we see that that's really the case. If we really look into our hearts, we realize there is something dark within us that really doesn't want to believe in a Creator God. The fool says in his heart, it says in the Psalms, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. And we're fools. And we, there's something in us that says, I don't want there to be a God. Because wait a minute, if there's a God who made me, then that means I'm answerable to somebody. And that means I'm accountable. You know, if God made me, that means He's the King and He gives the orders. I don't like anyone giving me orders. <laughs> I don't want anyone to tell me what to do. I don't want you to tell me what to do. I don't want my parents telling me what to do. And I don't want some God telling me what to do. There's some part of us there that just we don't want to be told. We don't want to be ruled and governed even by a good king. That's that rebellious sin nature. Or how about this one? You'll hate this one even more. I hate this one. Try this thought on for size. Not only does that mean God rules us, but if God created us, it means He owns us. We're God's property. God owns you and you owe God. God owns everything and we owe Him everything. Oh, I don't like that idea. That God owns me? No one owns me. I'm free. (laughs) He owns me. And I owe Him everything. And it is those thoughts of a great Creator God that fundamentally royal my sin nature inside and make me fight back against it. There's something within me that just recoils and and, uh, strikes back at those kinds of thoughts. That, That God is the Maker and the Creator. That therefore He's the King on His throne and that He owns me and I owe Him everything. So the first step on the road to having faith, the first step by God's grace on the road to faith, is coming to just recognize this dynamic within us. 
It's coming to say, you know what, I, God, I can't get there from here. I'm not going to be able to get there from here. It's, there's too much resistance in my soul. I am too devoted to myself. I can't concoct the faith that you require from within myself. We have to come to a point of brutal honesty to be able to say to God, God, I am so lost that I can't even have the faith that I need to be safe by faith. I'm, I'm so lost. I, I'm so OD'd on sin that I'm in a coma. I can't respond. I'm lost, God. I need you to do something supernaturally. God, it's not just that I commit sins, which I do. It's not just that I have sinful thoughts, which I do. It's that at my spiritual molecular level, if you will, there is sin fused into my being. And it's just everywhere in me. And so I need a supernatural salvation, not a natural salvation. I don't need a better argument. I need the power of God to change my heart. And so we come to God. That's the first step is just saying, help, save me. I'm lost and I need a Savior. You know, and I don't understand it all. I have all these doubts. If you're there, save me. I need a Savior. And the second observation I want to make from this text is the good news. That God is real and God is still saving and creating today. And God is still creating faith today. Look at verse 6. Verse 6 is just amazing. Amazing. Look at verse 6. For God who said, let the light shine out of the darkness. What's that from? Genesis 1-3. It's a paraphrase of Genesis 1-3. So God who said that made His light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. You hear that? He's saying that this is an analogy Paul's making. He's saying that just as God spoke and the world came into existence and light was created out of nothing, so through God's Word today, through the Gospel, through the preaching of His Word, that the light shines in our hearts. There's a spiritual creation that takes place. That faith is the same kind of thing as the creation of the universe from nothing. It is the illumination in the soul, in the dark vacuum of our soul, of God's reality. It's the impartation of faith. You know, it's, you know, Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, what? He is a new creation. I, I would even argue that what that passage is saying is, if, if anyone's in Christ, behold, there's the new creation. That the new heavens and the new earth are coming into existence in the form right now of faith in our souls. That that faith in God is the beginning work of that which will come in the future. It's the, the substance of things hoped for taking up residence in our hearts now that already the new creation has begun. It is a supernatural work of God. And I just want to encourage you and say that, praise God, God is still creating faith today. That He didn't leave off His creation work in the beginning. It's not a, he's not a deistic God who kind of wound up the universe and then went off to wherever God goes to for vacation. That God is intimately involved in your lives. That God is intimately involved in the fabric of this world. And as we heard in these testimonies, He's touching people today and He's still creating faith. And that faith is focused, and this is the final thing. I said two points, so I guess it's three. Look, look at the last sentence. To give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. Here we go. In the face of Christ. 
that it's Jesus Christ who has come to reveal God to us. And so we cry out, God, save me. We believe God can. And that faith is focused specifically not to a generic belief in a God somewhere, but specifically to the person of Jesus, who is the revelation of the glory of God, the image of the invisible God, the invisible God made visible to us in the face of Christ. And so I would just say, look to Jesus Christ and be saved. Look to Christ. My wife and I had um, some acquaintances, probably like, I'm trying to remember, probably like eight or ten years ago. They lived here in Hingham, and we'd go hang out with them from time to time. Uh, the wife, the, the wife was sort of a new Christian. The husband was an atheist. It was wicked smart and wicked well educated. <laughs> um, see, he was a good atheist man. He was sharp. And, and, you know, he would, so, so it was kind of, it was pretty cool, though, because we'd hang out with him, and, and every once in a while we'd talk about faith and things like that, and um, I remember this one conversation, I think he was, I think he was trained in physics, I mean, so this is a guy who's very scientific, very logical, and just a very honest, uh, sharp kind of guy, so I was, we're talking one night over dinner, I forget who asked the question of him, but someone just asked the question, I forget if it was me or my wife or his wife, but they said, have you ever kind of thought there might be a God, have you ever had you know, inklings of faith. And we expect him to be like, oh, no, that's ridiculous. But it was interesting. He was very honest. He said, yes, actually, yes. And we, were, we said, really? His wife didn't even know. She's like, really? You know? Like, when? When? And I loved his answer. It was so awesome. He said, whenever I look into the faces of my children. Because here's the thing. If you're going to be a consistent atheist, consistent, and not cheat off Christian's homework. <laughs> if you're going to be consistent, you have to say that there is no meaningful difference between your child and a pile of dog manure. Because both are simply random collocations of matter and energy without meaning, purpose, or anything beyond what we project upon them in, in our own imaginations. You have to be able to say that if you're going to be consistent. Because it's just matter and energy. There's nothing else. And it doesn't mean anything. And so even this atheist, he says, you know, when I look at my kids, there's something deep within me that whispers there's something more than just matter and energy. There's meaning here. There's significance to these created beings. And I would just take that analogy and kick it up higher to a higher level at that story and make an analogy of it. And I would say... Look into the face, not of your own children if you have kids, but look into the face of God's Son. Because then you will see the glory of the Creator God who made you. And you will begin to understand by faith that the world is full of purpose, full of meaning. Even the most painful and traumatic experiences of our lives by faith are not meaningless but that there is a great God in charge of it all. Ultimately, you are pushed to one of these two. It's either meaningless or it's meaningful. And to think that God sent His own Son to die for us on the cross, you know, from, from the world's perspective, the most hideous, awful thing to see a righteous man crucified, that God had a purpose in it. Everything matters if there's a God. And if there's no God, nothing matters. So make your pick. And may God give you faith to see 
Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I I just ask for myself and for everyone here just a simple prayer. Increase our faith. God, speak into our hearts. Grant us more faith than we have. Lord, I pray for anyone here who is not a a Christian or is investigating and they want to have faith. They don't know how. I just pray, Jesus, show your face to them. Help them to see the glory of the invisible God in the face of Christ. And Lord, grant faith, impart faith to their souls, we pray, as they call call out to Jesus and say, Save me. I'm blind. I need a Savior. And Lord, I pray for those of us to whom you have given the gift of faith, God. We just confess it's not because of anything we are. It's merely your grace. And I just pray, Lord, that, that you would increase that faith, that you would expand that faith. I pray especially for brothers and sisters today who are full of doubts, who are concerned about their health, who are overwhelmed by life's burdens. Uh, I just pray that, that today you would give, through your word, a greater impartation of faith to their souls so that they might cling to you afresh. Lord, I pray for brothers and sisters here who have strayed away from you, who have backslidden, who have fallen into sin, that they would repent and that you would give them faith that you are a God who even now can forgive and restore them. And so God, give us faith that you are a God who has the power to turn the lights on in our soul. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We have a closing hymn. Um, It's in your order of service. It's one we've